press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Wednesday, June 8. A supersized rate rise to try and get inflation under control. The Reserve Bank has moved its target cash rate up half a point to 0.85%, the biggest rise in two decades and higher than most economists predicted. The government is warning of more rises to come and RBA Governor Phil Lowe says higher electricity, gas and petrol prices mean he's bracing for inflation to keep rising before the rate rises bite. Reports of a Chinese naval base in Cambodia are concerning, Anthony Albanese says. He's called on Beijing to be transparent about exactly what it is doing in Cambodia. And China has given its side of that encounter between one of its fighter jets and an Australian Air Force surveillance plane. Beijing says the Australian aircraft seriously threatened its sovereignty by approaching the contested Paracel Islands in the South China Sea. Royalist sentiment is at an all-time high in the UK as the country enjoys the afterglow of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. So why is Anthony Albanese choosing now to revive talk of a republic? Later in the episode, our politics guru, Paul Kelly, joins me to unpack the strategy. Week five of the Chris Dawson murder trial has kicked off in Sydney with the Crown calling witnesses to back up the evidence of its star witness, Dawson's former wife, JC. She was a schoolgirl when she says Dawson, a teacher, began grooming her in the 1980s. After they married and moved to Queensland, JC befriended an entertainer at Dreamworld on the Gold Coast. Joining me now is senior journalist Matthew Condon, who was in court for the start of week five. Matt, what did this entertainer have to say? This woman, Tony Melrose, was in one of the little shows at Dreamworld. She was Cooey, the gumnut fairy. And because JC and her child would go there often, given they lived a 10-minute drive away from the theme park, JC befriended this woman called Tony Melrose. And uh, they, they struck up this terrific friendship and away it went from there. Tony Melrose told the court about what JC told her about those very first encounters between her and Chris Dawson when she was a student at Cromer High and he was the PE teacher. These are Tony Melrose's words. It's not her voice. She said he'd manipulated the rosters or not the rosters, the roles or classes so that she could be in his class for the following year. The Crown's case is, of course, that Christopher Dawson killed his wife, Lynn, in the early 1980s. She hasn't been seen in four decades. Matt, Tony Melrose also said that JC had told her about a controlling element of that relationship. What did she say about that? There was discussion about JC joining Melrose in a game of indoor cricket. And the allegation from Melrose was that uh, Chris Dawson was present uh, and that he made an inspection of the complex and facilities themselves. And it was uh, uh, Melrose's opinion only in court that she ascertained from that that JC sort of needed his permission to go ahead and play the sport. Having said that, it was 35 plus years ago and it, it was her opinion in court today. Earlier 
earlier in the trial, Matt, we'd heard from a schoolboy friend of JC who was romantically interested in her, who said that Chris Dawson had intimidated him while he was working at the local supermarket. On Tuesday, we heard from another male school friend of JC. What did he say about his interactions with Chris Dawson? Another witness today, we can only name him by his initials. He was um, 16 at the time of the events he described today. He is R.H., and he um, described his life back then. He was at Cromer High. He was in the same year as JC. Uh, he worked a little paper run to earn some money for himself. And he too developed a crush on JC and wanted to ask her out. Chris Dawson was a great confidant of RH. Mr. Dawson was his coach. And he felt he trusted Chris Dawson very much to be able to confide personal things with him. He claims that they came up with a sort of plan, if you like, whereby on a particular Sunday when his paper run around the suburb of DY had had finished, for him to bicycle over to JC's house where Chris Dawson would be present, this young boy would come to the door. The plan was Chris Dawson would make an excuse to leave the scene, thus leaving alone RH with JC, and they could then have a talk in private and he could ask her out. That was the plan. Now, he gave evidence that he recalled that Sunday. He remembers finishing his paper shift. He rode on his bicycle to the house. He got to the front door of JC's home. He said Mr. Dawson greeted him at the front door. There was a fly screen separating them. And Dawson allegedly said to him, in effect, their plan had been aborted. It wasn't going ahead. He said he could see over um, Dawson's shoulder and he could see JC in the house. And he was humiliated, this boy. Uh, He was embarrassed. He grabbed his bicycle and pedaled away. And that was the end of that. He praised Dawson as a coach, as a teacher, as a a personable human being, as someone uh, with an ear who would listen to your problems, very much so. But he said that after this incident, their relationship simply wasn't as close as it had been. Matt, he also gave evidence about another encounter with Chris Dawson and JC, this time back at the high school. What was his account of that? He said he was approaching the physical education teacher's staff room and he could see JC in the staff room. And he was asked by Craig Everson SC for the crown. He said she was in there seated in that room and Craig Everson said, what was she seated on? And um, he replied, his lap, as in Christopher Dawson's lap. Uh, Who else was in the office, he was asked, and he said, no one. Um, He then gave evidence that the door was quietly closed. So, yeah, something he didn't forget, certainly coming off the back of that failed interaction with JC. Matthew Condon is a senior reporter with The Australian. You can follow the trial every day right here on the front or catch our weekly podcast, The Teacher's Trial, wherever you get your audio. Coming up, Anthony Albanese's created a minister for the Republic, but is anyone in the mood? Paul Kelly joins me.
I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts. On a glorious summer's weekend in Britain, the streets were filled with bunting and tables groaned with champagne, cakes and lashings of whipped cream. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee was a celebration of Elizabeth II's 70-year reign. What a great sight. Look at them flying over now. Here in Australia, it's safe to say almost nobody is talking about a republic, at least not while the 96-year-old Queen is still on the throne. When Charles III takes over, that may change. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has created an Assistant Minister for the Republic, Matt Thistlethwaite, an MP from Sydney South East. I'm joined now by our editor-at-large, Paul Kelly. Paul, do you think Australians are in the mood to be talking about the Republic now? Oh, I think that uh, it's a good idea to have this ongoing debate. The Labor Party's been keen to promote this debate for a considerable period of time. But I think the point to make is that this is not a priority. Uh, we're not going to see some transformation. We're not going to see the Republic being put up in lights again. Anthony Albanese's made this very, very clear. Uh, so this is a long-term project for the Labor Party. And the immediate project when it comes to a referendum is the Indigenous voice to Parliament. It seemed to me during the campaign, Paul, that Anthony Albanese successfully avoided culture wars. He wasn't able to be categorised by the coalition as woke. What was your sense of how he handled those kinds of sensitive issues during the campaign, trans rights, for example? I think he was very much a centrist and I think he handled this particularly well. I think he was astute. He made a number of comments uh, during the campaign saying, I'm not woke. But where he did take a stand, the big issues on which he took a stand were uh, supporting justice for women. Well, that's a mainstream issue, obviously, and it, uh, it certainly worked very much against the Morrison government. What's more contentious is his support for the voice to Parliament. Labor's made this a priority. And when I interviewed Linda Burney, uh, the new minister, last week, she made it clear that this is a high-profile commitment, but the referendum will not necessarily be put in the first term of a Labor government. That depends on whether or not there is consensus. And so precisely because the voice to Parliament is a very difficult and very ambitious referendum, this has priority over the Republican. What it essentially means is the Republic is going to be in the background for a considerable period of time. What's your sense of the scale of the challenge with the voice, Paul, in terms of getting Australians to understand what it is and then persuading them to give it a double majority in a referendum? Oh, this is an enormous challenge. And I don't think it's appreciated 
I think most of the people supporting The Voice, particularly from the business community and a lot of other community groups, have really no comprehension at all, A, about what The Voice is about, about all the contentious issues involving The Voice, and about the incredible difficulty of getting this referendum passed. We haven't had a referendum passed successfully for many, many decades in this country. The details about the voice are not yet defined and spelt out. And clearly after they are defined and spelt out, then I think that the uh, contentious nature of the proposal is going to be more apparent. And the task of building consensus for it will be very difficult. I think there's no prospect of the referendum on the voice getting up unless it's supported by the coalition side of politics. And we know that recent prime ministers, Tony Abbott has opposed it, Scott Morrison has opposed it, Malcolm Turnbull as prime minister opposed it. So this is going to be a very, very significant challenge. Paul, twice before, we've seen an Indigenous representative body created and then abolished. First ATSIC, which ended under the Howard government amid a series of probity scandals. And then the National Congress, which folded after losing its funding under Tony Abbott. Paul, do you think Australians have some residual wariness about creating a constitutionally enshrined body for Indigenous Australia? Oh, I think they certainly do. I mean, once you put the body in the constitution, it can't be abolished. So that's the critical point. And the ATSIC experience here is highly relevant because what happened with ATSIC was that it was created and then abolished by legislation from the national parliament. So if the organisation was deemed not to be working, then it could be abolished. The whole idea of putting the voice into the constitution is to ensure that it can't be abolished. And so I think this is going to be a highly relevant issue, yes. Paul Kelly is The Australian's editor-at-large. It's State of Origin tonight and the biggest rugby league crowd since COVID will be going absolutely bonkers at Accor Stadium in Sydney. Queensland's playing for its 23rd series title, but New South Wales is the bookies' favourite. Both sides say the key to the match is who can control the Maroons' dynamic 5'8", Cameron Munster. You can follow the Interstate Grudge Match live at theaustralian.com.au or stream the replay straight afterwards, ad-free, on KO. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.